hugging every body hands will come to the same from doing peaks discussing i am dalton barrett but you may know me better as barrett digital and here in the booth with me i've got my good friend i'm josh clements okay you said that so fast i just like it, it gave me a shock for a second like i didn't know where i was well, that's just because I'm that good. I do this for a living. I don't know if everybody even listening to the podcast knows that. My job is to to talk. Um, <laughs> like that's both both of the main jobs that I occupy require me to speak. So um, I'm I've gotten pretty good at it. But this is I think, I think that may be true of most jobs. Well, yes, but like it's literally all I do is is to I, I work in radio and I'm studying to be a pastor, and both of those are jobs where your main um, responsibility is just to speak, not even like to have a conversation, but just to speak. So, <laughs> um, this is a very, very special episode of Twin Peaks that required me to make, we record these at, it's night for me and it's even later for you. It's like six o'clock and it's yeah, still, it's, it's midnight for me. it still required me to make a nice hot cup of black Joe, a nice you know, hot uh, cup of coffee. Did you, did you catch yourself there? I don't think so. What did I do? You said, you said on this episode of Twin Peaks. Did I say that? Incredible. Yeah. We're talking about Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Twin Peaks, we'll let you know when we get into spoilers. Um, not that you can really spoil Twin Peaks. So even if you're not familiar, you even if you know the things that happen, the the only real spoiler from the entirety of the series comes in next week's discussion because here we're just talking about twin peaks season one um so next week there will be some actual genuine things that could be spoiled but there will be spoilers in this but for the first little bit we're just going to kind of talk about the show and so if you haven't seen it you can stick around for that maybe watch it and then catch this episode again and catch next week's episode when we talk about season two but josh Here's an excellent question that I don't know that people have ever been able to answer that I want to ask you very quickly. Josh. What is that? What is Twin Peaks? Good question. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fever dream. Uh, okay. It's, it's bizarre. Um, so to, to, okay, to understand Twin Peaks, I think first you need to understand David Lynch. David Lynch is for the layman. He's he's the man who wrote and created Twin Peaks. Born uh, from his mind. Probably most famous for his 1978 movie Dune. Um, or, or I think depending on how much of a film bro you are, you might know him from The Elephant Man, uh, which he also directed. Uh, and Eraserhead, of course. If you're a real film bro, you would know Eraserhead. Okay. Um, yeah, Mulholland Drive. Um, oh. Inland Empire. Yeah. Uh, like the, even even if you don't know David Lynch, you have probably heard or seen something from a property that he's helped uh, create. Well, he he's been in charge of many many properties, um, and he's sort of got his own. People know the name David Lynch as soon as you say it, right? Blue Hel Blue Velvet right. was the one I was trying to think of, and couldn't uh, Lost Highway. Um, like you mm, said, you yeah. already mentioned the Elephant Man, um, Wild at Heart, and his newest film, What Did Jack Do, which is a Netflix short. It's the one with the monkey as the the poster. 
Um, <laughs> everybody's known and heard of David Lynch, and, and he's not my favorite filmmaker because um, I'm not as big of a fan of that style of storytelling as I know like you are and, and a lot of people are. Um, but he's just... It, it, his movies are so unique and so different that they literally have their own subgenre, uh, known as the, the, they refer to these movies as Lynchian, and other movies that sort of fall in that subgenre or subgenre are referred to as Lynchian. So he's been such a such an iconic figure in film that he's literally gotten his own term, which is pretty awesome. Um, but he dis- he sat down one day and he decided to to team up with a man named Mark Frost and make this series known as as Twin Peaks and here we are uh 30 years later and we're talking about it yeah um it David okay so in short David Lynch is a big fan and creator of abstract uh and surreal um products you know like, like I said a race ahead everything he does is always convoluted in the good way like it, it's Everything's a metaphor for something else that it will never explain because he wants you to make up your own opinion of it all. Right. And he was already he was already really big at the time that this show came out. And I do want to talk briefly about just like the atmosphere around this show when it came out, because, of course, neither of us were alive for it. Neither of us watched this show live on TV because it came out 10 years before I was born uh, and we're the same age. But. <laughs> the uh, this this show right here, you know, it predates X Files. It predates all of these shows that sort of kind of created this idea that TV can be more than just soap operas and sitcoms. Twin Peaks is sort of the great pioneer of of that sort of subgenre of TV that has now taken over, and that's what TV just is. Um, Twin Peaks sort of kicked that all off. And it was met, you know, super positively when it when it came out in, in 1990. And there's a little bit of something for everyone in the series. Uh, but there was this just buzz around it before it came out because of David Lynch's attachment. Uh, uh, people knew him from his more surrealist, more abstract movies. He was, I mean, he wasn't a household name, but he was a pretty big name in terms of the directing scene at this point. And so the fact that he would take a step back from film to do a television series being how um, big of a director he was, was uh, just like monumental for, for the popularity of this series when it came out. And so that definitely needs to be noted. And it's also worth knowing that uh, like nowadays you get people like Ridley Scott or Steven Spielberg or, you know, a bunch of these really huge blockbuster movie directors working on shows for HBO or, abc or netflix or like any of the streaming services that you can watch now but back in that time it was kind of i don't want to say unheard of but it was very rare that you got someone who went from making blockbusters like dune and the elephant man and uh at one point he was offered episode six star wars uh you just referred to dune as a blockbuster technically technically a blockbuster incredible um but yeah like to, to go from this movie scene where you're such a huge name into more or less uh, a soap opera. I mean, basically, the, the different soap operas has from this, same style of sets, same uh, something that our audience may be a little more familiar with is Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. It's sort of how that has that feel of a soap opera to it, but it was still a week-to-week show. 
that's kind of the the thing because soap operas are daily, right? That's why they're so cheap looking and and whatever. Um, This series was, of course, weekly and had a higher budget than that. You got slightly better acting and that kind of thing. Um, But it does have a lot of those tropes of sitcoms from the time or not sitcoms, but soap operas from the time. And and it's and we'll get into the details of what separates it from these things in a bit. But it it plays along the same lines of a lot of those with with some of the characters' story arcs and and some of the characters just how they operate and the uh, the stereotypes that are in it. But it's really neat that you had such a big director, and it's impossible to talk about Twin Peaks without talking about David Lynch, um, because he his his style rubs off into this series so perfectly and so much. It, for me, it's like. This and the movie we'll talk about in a few weeks um, that, that's a prequel to this series, uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. His style is so ingrained in those. And I, I think Fire Walk With Me is like the quintessential David Lynch uh, movie. Like it, it has all of his hallmarks in it and it feels very abstract and very, very Lynchian to use that term. And Twin Peaks has some of that, but it's 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 sort of watered down by the fact that it was a primetime television series, and that is what sort of makes it so interesting to me, is you have this weird abstract stuff, which I'm not a huge fan of, but the fact that it's like put into just a primetime soap opera from the 1990s, there is nothing like Twin Peaks, and there will never be anything like Twin Peaks. Oh, no, not at all. It's like, it's like imagine watching an episode of Days of Our Lives, and then halfway through that episode, it cuts to X Files. Yeah, like, there's no explanation and there's no payoff to any of it. It just does it. It's a matter of fact thing, and then it moves on. And it just does that over and over again until the show sort of ends. I mean, yeah, basically. And the show doesn't ever really end. It just kind of no, stops. It ends on cliffhangers. That end in cliffhangers. <laughs> it just sort of stops happening. And so. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about the pilot here in just a second. Kind of a schedule for the next few weeks of the podcast. Um, we're trying to schedule when we're going to do our next film show. But for the next few normal episodes of the podcast, we're going to do Twin Peaks Season 1 this week. We will do Twin Peaks Season 2 the next episode that we do. Uh, then we're going to do the prequel movie, Fire Walk With Me. And then after that, we will do Twin Peaks The Return, which just came out in 2017. So this show that we've been talking about, it ended, it ran two seasons. It ended for almost 30 years, and then it came back in 2017 for a, a, a revival season. And we'll get into that. That's a whole other ballpark. That's a whole other <laughs> mess there. But let's talk about the pilot of Twin Peaks, because I think... David Lynch directed the pilot. He only directed, uh, I want to say, two episodes, maybe three episodes in season one, but he was on set the whole time. And um, the pilot in and of itself is so good. I, it's, it's, one of, it's very rare that a pilot can hook you to a series, but I think the pilot of Twin Peaks does. It's one of the best pilots I've ever seen, uh, and it's genuinely fascinating but i'll let you kind of take us through the the rundown of the pilot this is where we will start getting more spoilery with our discussion of twin peaks here so if you haven't seen the series and you don't want it spoiled uh you can hop off now but if you don't care which you really probably shouldn't because there's not much you can spoil with twin peaks uh you can keep (laughs) listening yeah i mean i when i my first introduction to twin peaks was red letter media talking about twin peaks where they spoil essentially everything to do with the show 
and I still binge the show in like a week because it's it it really draws you in. And a big part of that is the pilot, which so the pilot starts and immediately it tells you the prom queen is dead, wrapped in plastic. Yeah. So there there's a a character. Uh, he's our boy, our boy Eddie. Um, not Ed. I'm sorry. Pete. Uh, Pete. Pete, our boy Petey. He he hops out. Uh, he's going fishing. He kisses his wife on the cheek, and she looks like she hates his guts. And then as he's walking to go fishing, he spots a dead body in the river, and it's wrapped in plastic, and he tells the police, she's dead, wrapped in plastic. And she says it, he says it basically just like that. And um, you know you're in for a treat when that's like the opening lines of your series. But <laughs> you have this primetime soap opera once again, and I do want to hark on this. And... Basically, the opening scene of it is a, a, a girl, the high school prom queen, like Josh was saying, just dead on a beach. And that's right. sort of the catalyst for this whole series, the whole marketing campaign behind it, probably to a fault. It's probably what led to the downfall of the original series uh, was who killed Laura Palmer. That's the girl's name, of course. Uh, and that's that's the mystery that we're presented in what would otherwise be a, a typical standard whodunit um, who killed Laura Palmer? And so the pilot episode continues from there. Yeah, well, so the first half of the pilot is just kind of all of the characters uh, in and around Twin Peaks reacting to Laura Palmer's death. Like, you see Pete call the town sheriff, Harry, who then goes on to call, like, her parents. Uh, they call their friend. It, like, spreads throughout the town. And you just kind of, it, it cuts all of these moments where you see like her parents react to it and they just cry and cry and cry. And then you could see her friends react to it in class and they are just, half of them are in tears and the other half are like, yeah, I, don't, I didn't like her anyway. And you see it, James, it, he snaps a pencil in half. Yeah, you see James, Mr. Forehead, who, uh, he's so cool. He <laughs> James is so cool. James has so always cool. been cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the the first half of the pilot episode is basically that, and it's we we should specify. Let's take a step back. Twin Peaks is it's a town in Washington. It's not a real town. Um, it's right. it's of course made up for the series, but it's this tiny little town where everybody knows each other. And news it, the 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 first half of this episode is basically just this is how news spreads in a small town. And as somebody, uh, I didn't grow up in a small town, but uh, I grew up in a small ish town. That is basically what it's like. Um, when I was very little, I lived in a small town. I have a lot of family that lives in an even smaller town than that. That's what it's like. Everybody knows everybody. And when news like that happens, you don't hear it from the newspaper or on TV or on social media, whatever. You hear it. Somebody gives you a phone call and tells you the town gossip. And so mm. it's it's really neat uh, to see that here. And it's not exactly where you would expect a series like this to take place. Because after we get that and everybody in the town finds out, then what happens is super interesting because we're introduced to one of the greatest characters from all of television, uh, Special Agent Dale Cooper of the FBI. And <laughs> the automatic clash in this is the FBI well, I, coming to it. I'll let you finish in just a second. The FBI coming to a town this small is already fascinating enough for a story in and of itself. Right. Well, that that's that's the thing. Everything with Twin Peaks, part of the charm of it is that it's all played straight. So, like in a in a soap opera like this, or but again, I, I'm going to continue to link it to the X Files just because I feel like you can't really compare Twin Peaks to anything, but it's the closest thing that you can like 
compare it to. So, like, in... Dale Cooper comes in, and he's driving into this town, and he's like, Diane, it's 11.30, February 24th, I'm entering the town of Twin Peaks. And it's, you think he's going to have, like, a, a drinking problem, or he's he's a he's a horrible womanizer, or he, like, he plays the rules dirty and stuff like that. Uh, and, like you said, he's, he's going into this small town where they all love the, like, they all know the sheriff, they all get along well, and it's like, usually the clash here is that you've got this dirty cop, uh, or the FBI overstepping the jurisdiction, that's where the clash is, and there's a lot of a power struggle where they keep on going back and forth. But not in this, he just comes in and everyone's like, Hi, we'd love to have you here. How can we help? And well, he's just completely he he's played straight too. He's just the nicest man on earth. It's it sort of summed up by Harry and uh Dale's or you know, Harry and Agent Cooper's first interaction together. Agent Cooper comes in and he just says, Hey, I'm here for the FBI, I'm here to investigate this, and Harry says, All right. I'm down. Uh, whatever you say goes, boss. And it's sort of they—they they sort of nix the idea of that sort of standard conflict that would be there in any other. I don't care if it's a movie. I, I don't care if it's a show. If it's a, a quibby, whatever. Anytime you have the FBI come into the local town, the 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 story almost always goes. There's a clash between the FBI and the local police. Nine times out of ten, that's what happens. And they nix the idea of that ever happening within the pilot episode of this. And it doesn't happen. Through the next two seasons, we never see any sort of clash between uh, Harry and Agent Cooper. Even when it's Harry saying, I'm going to take the reins on this one, Agent Cooper just agrees with him. And it goes, there's never any conflict with that. And it's super fascinating to me that they had the guts to do that. But it makes for such an interesting and 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 sort of different story than we would typically be used to with something like this right and i mean even even further than that there's like there's even little stuff where uh you know twin peaks is this small mountain town where there's not like it's the kind of place that's not industrial skyscrapers the biggest building they have is the northern hotel like that's the most corporate that they get and usually if the fbi or someone's moving into this town they, they're like, oh, I hate it here. It's the worst. It's always raining. It's always dry. And in in Cooper's first line, he's like, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. There's so many trees. I love it. And he talks about uh, the pie shop he stopped at on the on the way in. And he Wait, tells God. Diane, <laughs> yeah, he tells Diane, if you're ever out this way, the pie, the, this, this restaurant is definitely worth a stop because the pie was delicious and it's great. And he, he asked Diane to figure out what kind of trees are there because the scenery is so nice. And, uh, there's several moments throughout the rest of the series where he refers to Twin Peaks as, as a little slice of heaven. And so it's really neat that they just take those typical conflicts and just kind of throw them out the window because they knew there would be enough conflict in the actual story they're telling to take those, just those typical beats and just get rid of them. Yeah, Twin Peaks is both a parody of soap operas while also being a soap opera. Yes, and that gets into, um, I'm not sure who we meet, who is it that we meet next in the pilot? We meet, uh, during that little opening, uh, we meet two of our main characters who we're going to follow, Donna, who is Laura Palmer's best friend, um, and James, who is Laura Palmer's sort of girlfriend, or boyfriend, I guess? Her her fling maybe right yeah like a little a little fling but they love each other so, so probably yeah, so a little more serious Laura, than a fling. Laura's dating Bobby the bad boy, uh, 
and like she's officially with him, but she was having an affair with James, who is this guy that her and Donna are friends with, who's a biker. Um, and like <laughs> James is so cool. James has always James been so- cool. <laughs> but yeah, we we get like we just cut to the school where someone comes into their classroom where they all are, and they're like, Laura Palmer is dead, and then they just leave. Well, no, it's over the intercom. That's what it is. Well, the the first thing that happens is the police come in to tell the teacher and then the students kind of know something's up and they know something's not right. And especially Donna and James, they they they, they share this look where they they basically know what happened. And you see the you see Donna break down in tears before they even announce that Laura Palmer is dead to the school. And then mm-hmm. uh, James snaps his pencil because he's so cool. Um, <laughs> and and it's. So those are a couple of the characters we meet and some of the other little characters in the town of Twin Peaks. Yeah, um, you, that, 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 this first episode, it, it's great because it dives right in and then it just shows you kind of all the moving parts of the series. Like it shows you all the characters and it sets up all of the conflicts that you're going to see happen. Like uh, you see Catherine walk through the mill, which is next to where Laura Palmer was found. And she has beef with uh, 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 Jocelyn, Jocelyn, who um, her late husband ran it, and that was Catherine's brother. So now they're they're in a conflict because you know Catherine doesn't want her to run it. She Catherine knows how to run it, but Jocelyn still has to be part of it. And it sets that up. It sets up Pete's relationship. It sets up everyone's relationship with each other, as well as who they are. Uh, and it just kind of like moves along very steadily it's just how it's an introduction like a perfect introduction right and it's not trying to prove itself which is something that i think is is super fascinating about the pilot because almost all pilots um they have this and rightfully so i mean they're trying to get picked up by networks but almost Mm. all pilots have this this uh, this need to prove themselves to the networks. Like, oh, these are all the things we can do if you give us money and let us make this series. Twin Peaks skips all that. And they just sort of jump right in more like it's the second, third, or fourth episode of a series as opposed to being the pilot. It doesn't play like a pilot. It, it almost even plays like a like a movie in its own right, which we'll get to that in a minute um when we're when we're wrapping up our our discussion of the pilot episode but it's so fascinating just to for this first half just see all of the the introductions to these characters who we're going to follow and it should be noted that like while it seems like this is part high school drama because we're talking about the the high schoolers and stuff we only go to the high school like twice throughout the whole series and one of those times is is the pilot like we don't spend much time there we spend a lot of time with those characters but they never seem to actually be in school um and and they seem to be focusing more on other stuff and and so while they're sort of these like high school characters they really play a lot different which is is good for somebody who doesn't care to watch a, a high school drama soap opera and we meet my favorite of these uh, high school students who is Bobby Briggs and I want to talk about Bobby for just a minute because he is the character to me that when I rewatched this when I watched it for the first time I didn't really appreciate Bobby all that much but upon my latest rewatch of Twin Peaks 
I love Bobby Briggs. He's he's easily my favorite of all of the high school characters. See, I yes and no. Uh, I like most of my like of Bobby comes from the second season, which we'll talk about next week. And even then, that's mostly because of his relationship with his father. Well, I mean more from like like I don't particularly like the guy because you're not supposed to like him. Not like in like the same a, way. He's an awful person. He's, he's not. He's cheating on his girlfriend. Uh, he's. I, I want to say very like not possessive, but maybe abusive towards his friends or towards just everybody. Well, possessive would be a good word, but we we get a little more of that when it comes to uh, to fire walk with me. Um, he's cheating on his girlfriend. I don't really flack him for that because she was also cheating on him, and right. and we find out later he knew about it. So it's like, eh. Um, but he he's dealing drugs. He's you know a lot, he's he's not a great guy. He's doing a lot of nasty stuff. But he is so his performance is so good. And there's another episode I want to talk about uh, outside of the pilot. And I guess we're just kind of all over the place. We tried to structure this, but who cares? Um, <laughs> what, one of my favorite moments that that Bobby Briggs has, in in the entirety of the series is in i think episode three where we tackle laura palmer's funeral no it's episode four is okay episode four and the funeral is just this this tense tense moment in the town and and everybody's of course sad and her father falls on the casket of the grave as they're lowering it to the ground and he can't get off because it's lowering and he's so heartbroken over the loss of his daughter that he's just they're Mm. lifting it up and down and up and down and he's he's bawling his eyes out and the, the the priest is doing the funeral and he starts praying and he says amen and then bobby just loses it because i do think truly that despite all of the nasty stuff that was going on with bobby and between bobby and laura specifically i do think he genuinely cared about laura and his he just snaps and he mm. starts just yelling at the top of his lungs and he's 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 yelling at all these people and he he utters the lines which i think is really just um sort of what david lynch had in mind for the intention of the series he asked you want to know who killed Laura Palmer? You did. We all did. We saw what was going on with her and we didn't do anything to stop it. Um, and, and that sort of, to me, feels like what David Lynch's point was in this series is we, we find out throughout the first season and, and even more in the second season that Laura wasn't exactly like this this sweet girl. She was she was doing drugs. She was doing all these nasty things. She she was working at the uh, what were they called one eyed jacks. Right. She was she was a she was a literal prostitute. Um. And so she was doing all these horrible things, but she didn't necessarily deserve to die. But at the same time what's worse the fact that she was doing all these things and they led to her death or the fact that people knew what was going on and could see what was going on with laura and just ignored it and that i think is what david lynch really had in mind as the meaning of of this series And, and things get a little watered down in season two but and we'll get to that next week but i i just love that scene and i love that they gave that to bobby because Bobby's doing a lot of the same things that Laura was doing. In fact, Bobby was Laura's Coke dealer. Like he he's going down that same path that Laura Palmer was going down and nobody's stopping him either. And that that that's such a powerful moment in this series and I love his delivery and I really love that character because it Bobby Briggs upon my rewatch, Bobby Briggs essentially feels like 
the not dead version of Laura Palmer. And I love that they put that character in for us to explore. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I can definitely see what you're coming from there. Um, yeah, I, well, I always wanted to say specifically for that funeral scene, I, I wanted to give a shout out to Ray Wise, who plays uh, Laura's father, Leland. Because, okay, so if there's one thing that you can say Twin Peaks definitely is, it is depressing, depressingly fun. Yeah, I've been trying to think of a word to describe Twin Peaks for like weeks now because I knew we were doing this discussion and I don't really have one. Depressingly fun kind of sums it up. I guess we could go with that. Well, it, mostly it's depressing, but like it's, it's like it's a show. It's a show that has this happy, upbeat sort of atmosphere, I would say. And at least upbeat moments that are quite funny and fun. Which is immediately paired next to, like, you know, coke addiction and prostitution and murder and uh, sexual assault and all of these horrible, horrible, horrible things. And even, but then it bounces even, back and forth. Even some of those things are played for laughs. Um, for yeah. instance, when they go to, there's a flashback scene in episode three where they go to One Eyed Jacks. Um, the the Ben um, Ben Horn and his brother Jerry, which is the introduction of of Jerry and, and uh, um, and they go to One Eye Jacks in a flashback scene where Laura Palmer is there a few weeks before she died, and the scene is literally played for laughs. I mean, they're cutting up and making jokes the whole time that they're there, but they're dealing with this girl who's gonna die in a few weeks because of her horrible depression and addiction and all of the nasty stuff she's got going on, and they're playing the scene for laughs, and that really sums up Twin Peaks, which sounds super insensitive, but I think it works as a more powerful way to get. Um, your point across when you're hitting all senses as opposed to just one. Um, and that's a really interesting way to handle a series. And it's one of the reasons I don't think we'll get another show like this. Oh, no. I, I think they'll try and reboot it like in the future after David Lynch's estate loses the rights. But <laughs> uh, I, like, you can't remake Twin Peaks. See, the, like the flashback scene said, what I took it as was sort of Whenever you see these things through Dale Cooper's eyes, you see them for what they are. Like, you see the coke addiction and the murder and the dark, seedy underbelly of the town. Like, the to, to get kind of spoily, the, the, the town's fairly supernatural. It's basically built upon hell. Like, it's, it's a gateway to hell, essentially, is the way I took it. Kinda, um, yeah. They, they get a like not entirely, but just sort of they dip their toes into it. There, there's the there's this neat. Um, they, they talk about the Bookhouse Boys uh, a little later on in this season, and we can talk about that because it's part of season one. They talk about the Bookhouse Boys, and it's essentially just this like um, militia group, I guess you could call it, of men in this town who it's a neighborhood watch, right? Essentially a neighborhood watch, but uh, Harry Truman. Uh, the sheriff in the town refers to um, whatever this thing is that go that's going on, which is really the mystery of the series. It's a whole lot less who killed Laura Palmer and a whole lot more what is going on with this town. Uh, and we find out later uh, in, later in the series, and I'll wait to talk about that, but a, a little bit more about um, sort of how we got here and that kind of thing. But he he says there's an evil that lives in this the the woods like we have this nice little town full of all these nice little people but there's an evil that lives in the woods and i think that kind of sums it up better than anything else it's like 
yeah, this is a nice town with nice people, but bad things happen and the bad things come from outside of the people, but they just kind of infect these guys and it's just nasty. And that's, once again, there are a lot of things that David Lynch was going for, but good versus evil uh, with both of them being outside sources and people just being pawns in the chess game between good and evil uh, is is one of the things that I definitely feel like he had intended people to take away from this series because it's almost like this evil that lives in this woods is 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 one side of the coin and Special Agent Dale Cooper is the other side of the coin and everybody else just sort of falls somewhere in the middle and, and they're sort of being you know, played by both sides until somebody finally wins. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the way I always took this series was that it's at the very base, it's good versus evil. Like, obviously, it's more complicated than that. Uh, but the the way that I always took it was Dale Cooper sees these things what they are, but then when you see Ben and Jerry's side of it, like when you see the flashback of Laura Palmer, you see what the town sees, where they're so numb and integrated into all of it that they don't feel it at all that that's just human nature to them yeah one of the things that i love about this series and it's pretty well established early on is that all of these weird and supernatural things and it's always been a gripe of mine in even like the x-files for instance and 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 all these different shows whenever these weird or supernatural things seem to happen or pop up people are never shocked by them, right? People or, or people are always shocked by them. They the the weird the weird guy comes in and he starts doing these weird things, which is something that people should be if this is a world where this happens. It's like a we'll take comic book movies for instance, right? Man of Steel, Superman pops up and the world is just blown away by the fact that there's a superhero. But if this is a world where superheroes can exist, chances are others have and so they should really probably already have been exposed to this. And so it just kind of feels like, well, they, they should have experienced this in the past. And it's this weird suspension of disbelief with Twin right. Peaks. Nobody seems to question any of the things with within Twin Peaks season one. Nobody seems to, to question uh, do you want to talk about your favorite scene. I do. And I, I'm, I'm building to that. Uh, and then we'll kind of go over some of our favorite scenes from the series. Um, in in Twin Peaks, nobody seems to question any of the weird supernatural stuff that happens. It's all just kind of normal. And once again, I will preface that by saying within the first season and the second season, things sort of shift uh, tonally, and we'll get to that next week. But my, my favorite scene from the series and one of my favorite scenes from TV just in general is Special Agent Dale Cooper of the FBI, uh, the absolute Chad that he is, is trying to narrow down suspects in the murder of Laura Palmer. And to do so, you know, normally you would have this uh, you know, you'd have the detective on like a whiteboard Mission Impossible 3 style, like writing out all the different equations and, and going through all the different people and circling names. And you got the red string on the thing. But especially Dale Cooper of the FBI has another idea. He gets some coffee and he brings the entire police station out into uh, the woods, sets up a glass bottle and has Lucy, who's the receptionist. We haven't even talked about Lucy, has her collect mm. some rocks. She collects the rocks for Agent Cooper and then Agent Cooper proceeds to say the names of suspects and throw rocks at the bottle. And his he says that it, this idea came to him in a dream 
um, to narrow down suspects. And so he does it and finally hits one, and then that's the person they go and question. And it's super fascinating because that's a really weird out there scene. And it's hilarious too, by the way, I should, I should note like that makes you, that made me audibly laugh, which not many things do. That made me audibly laugh when I was watching it. And the thing that I love about it so much is nobody questions it. Harry, who's the Um. sheriff in this town, just goes along with it. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything like maybe we should try a more normal way to do it. Everybody just goes along with it and nobody even questions what Cooper is doing. And that kind of sums up the whole show. It's it's all these weird things are happening. Dale Cooper several times gives evidence for the crimes that are going on as things he's seen in dreams and people just go along with it. And, and that's great. Because in a world where these supernatural things happen, that's how it would work. Because these things wouldn't happen just once; they'd happen frequently. Yeah. Well, we, well, yeah. Also, like, like in most series, like you said, people would be like, "Hey, Dale, we shouldn't we try and you know interview people and talk to some suspects and stuff like that?" And they, I mean, Andy will go along with anything because Andy's not quite all there. But like Harry. So he is someone who is smart and tactical, and he's just like, I want to hear this out. That sounds like a good plan, and it's great because Coop's just like, it was once revealed to me by Tibetan monks, <laughs> right? And that—that's like, just like as soon as you say that, I'm I'm cracking up because this detective is genuinely telling people about how Tibetan monks dreamed up an idea that transferred to him in another dream. Right. It's incredible, and. <sighs> the tibetan monks and then later we see him reading a book on tibet by the way when you say andy's not all there are you talking about his sperms (laughs) (laughs) so um andy is the deputy (laughs) Uh, andy is the deputy and lucy is the receptionist for the uh the sheriff's department which is also one of my favorite moments in the pilot where I think Pete calls the sheriff's department. So she picks up on one phone and she goes, okay, give me a second. And then she hangs up and then re-rings the same phone uh-huh. to get to the sheriff who is two doors away from her. <laughs> right. And then it's- when when she, when she transfers the line over, she always tells them what line the number is on and then specifies that it's the one that's blinking, which is as somebody who still uses phones like that at work, it's incredible. Um, to see that in practice. It's great. Uh, But 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 like part of what makes Twin Peaks great is the characters in it, which is why it's so good that the first episode spends most of its time just kind of setting up the relationships and stuff. Like uh, Dale goes to, is it the Uh, R&R? The Double R Diner. The Double R Diner, uh, where, you know, that's where the gossip happens. And he sits down and he's like, I I want a coffee. Black as midnight on the moonless night or something like that. Black, uh, black is the sky on a moonless night, I moonless think is the night. quote. Yeah, That's one. Uh, but he says that, and then he sees the log lady, who he asked the detective. Who <laughs> yeah, the I love this. And she, he goes, we call her the log lady. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. Hello, log lady. What does your log tell us today? The the log lady doesn't get a name until late season two. She's ju- And she's in probably half of the series. She's just referred to as the log lady. And just to sum up how weird this show is, she gets psychic messages from her log, which may or may not be possessed, possessed with the spirit of her dead husband. Uh, we're not... There, there's, there's, it's there's, <laughs> right. There's some hints that that's the case. 
um, but we don't know for sure. So it's like, like in this series where we're we're learning about who murdered this woman, we're we're introduced to a character who's literally called the Log Lady, who gets psychic messages from her log. It's incredible. <laughs> that, that that's the thing. It's just there are so many great parts of it. Like uh, there's also Ed. Big Ed, who runs, I think he runs the pet, like the petrol station in town. Yes, it's uh, it's known as, and I want to specify this because the name of this this gas station sums up how small of a town Twin Peaks is. It's the only gas station in town, and it's known as Big Ed's Gas Farm, <laughs> and it's incredible. And I do want to, I wanted to get to 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 Big Ed while we're talking about the more soap opera y parts of the show, and while I love Big Ed to death. Um, he, his story, uh, with his wife, Nadine is probably the, the soapiest that the show gets. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the, it's such a great arc for these characters. It's like that soap opera relationship done to its prime. Uh, Big Ed is married to a woman who he genuinely cares about. Uh, and you can tell he genuinely cares about it despite the fact that it's not the woman he wanted to marry. And that he has this whole monologue uh, towards the end of the first season because uh, his wife, Nadine, goes into the hospital where he tells the, the whole story of how it all happened. Uh, basically, w- one night he thought his girlfriend, who he was going to marry, he was about to propose to her. Uh, he thought that she was cheating on him, so he ran off with this woman, Nadine. They got really drunk. They drove for a long time, and they got married. And they took a little honeymoon because the instead of annulling the marriage, she seemed so happy about it because she had had a crush on Big Ed forever. He was too nice to tell her no, so he just had to come back home and and explain the whole thing to his then-girlfriend, who um, turns out didn't even cheat on him. And so he spent the rest of his life, because of a miscommunication and a mistake, with a woman who he didn't even actually care for, but he was such a nice guy, or for a woman he didn't want to marry, I should specify, but he's such a nice guy. He doesn't love her. Well, I think he does love her. It's just not the person he feels like he was supposed to be with. And it's so fascinating that, that they just give that story to him. And in any, any, any other movie property, whatever, YouTube freaking video, that story would be about, you know, Nadine would be this awful, horrible person who's verbally abusing Big Ed, and it would just be like just a horrible situation. And the whole thing would be him getting out of the marriage to go back to his um, to his first love. But they don't do that really. They hint at it that that he's still they're they're still in love with each other and all this kind of stuff. But Big Ed stays with Nadine, and it's it's so fascinating that that's how they handled that story. Uh, and he's just such a big lug like he's such a sweetheart um and and nadine's a little off the wall crazy but i think it probably has something to do with the hunting incident where big ed shot out her eyeball um but it it is and that that that's such a great example of how this show handles its characters that's kind of why i wanted to dive into it because every character like that is done very real world For, for a show that's so surreal all of these characters feel like people who i like would be able to meet in my normal life. But then there's just all these weird supernatural elements that are in it. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. When I say that this show hops back and forth between tones, I also mean it hops back and forth between 
genres even. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. One, like, one moment it's uh, Big Ed and the Dean and their like romantic uh, adventures, and then the next moment it's Dale Cooper in the woods chucking stones. Like it, it, it just jumps back and forth between both, but it, it does it in such a way that you're so you're so invested in it all. It goes from romance to to drama to to uh, comedy to horror all in the span of like 20 minutes and then it does it all again it's it, murder mystery like all of these things it, and it does it all so well and that's why season one i think works because it is a very short limited limited series and before we wrap up i know we've talked about the pilot um, I did want to get to uh, the pilot's original intention. At least, you know, here it was packaged and sent out as a, a as a pilot episode. But David Lynch didn't want to put so much money into this series because he he kind of him and Mark Frost kind of self produced this pilot episode. Um, he didn't want to put all this money into it and you know lose it because nobody picked up the show. So he shot it and wrote it in a way where it would play as a film. So there's about 30 minutes of extra footage that gets used throughout the rest of the first season, um, specifically a lot of the Black Lodge stuff that we see that was originally on the end of the pilot episode and it uh, overseas in most countries outside of America, it was aired as a television movie, which I think is part of the reason that that pilot episode works so well. And part of the reason that the rest of the season works so well is because these are, this is the first TV show that I think ever really felt like little movies. The The first season of Twin Peaks pe- plays like an eight hour movie. And I, I know that's really common now, right? Like you can sit down and watch season two of The Mandalorian and it plays out like a 13 hour long movie. But back in the 90s, uh, I was in a very famous TV show. Nice one. Thanks, man. Um, Coming soon. Right. But but back in the 90s, you just didn't have that. That was such a new thing. And I think this show does it just as good as most of the things that are running today, if not better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. The show... So the show, if you have a plan on watching this, uh, the show doesn't have a conclusion. And I think it's worth saying that. The show will never have a conclusion because you can never really conclude what doesn't have a story. Right. And that's another thing, too. We, we get a lot of murder mystery series like today. Like, that's just super common. Oh, yeah, um, like a like true detective, even. Right. Like all, all of that stuff. They write those out from the beginning. Lost uh, is one where they said they wrote it out from the beginning, but I don't know that they actually did. Like these just mystery genre genre series. And we're sort of going into a fatigue of that at the moment. So they're kind of dying down. But over the last 10, 20 years, it's been they've, they've been everywhere. And the thing about those is they write out what the answer is at the beginning. And so people are just all over the place looking for clues and trying to figure it out. And now they know who the killer is and the show kind of loses its steam. I don't think they ever, I know they didn't, they never intended to say who killed Laura Palmer. So I don't think they even knew going in. So there aren't any hints to who it could possibly be. There are some things that were made into hints after the fact, but yeah, well, I think they, when they first went through the show, like they didn't have any intention of revealing it, and I think they, I, I remember seeing somewhere that they like, they wrote it so that it could be 
any of these group of people. Like, it could be any of these five people, uh, one of which who it actually was. Right. And looking for those clues and stuff, you don't even have to bother doing that. You can just sit down and watch this because they were making it up as they went along. And when I say that that shows, I don't mean that as a negative. I, in fact, mean that as a positive. Like, it shows that... They were figuring this out with you, and, and and I think that comes across in Detective Cooper's mind, where it's like you can tell he's really trying to process through this and figure out who the killer is, and it makes for such a great... Uh, it, it I will say this, the show doesn't binge well, and when I say that, I mean you really need time to process each episode after you watch it. Um, it's not... Most most of the time I recommend binge watching a show. This is not one of those times. It, Twin Peaks, especially when we get into season two, because it drags. Uh, and, and when we finally get around to talking about the return, you don't need to binge these shows. You need to give yourself some time to process the information as they come out, mm-hmm. because this was intended to watch week to week. So that's definitely something worth noting. But it's it's not like um it's not like a Netflix series where you can just stick it on and watch it all in a day. You right. can do that, but you that's that'll give you a less of a good experience, I think. Well, even um, something like the X Files, right? Like you can just binge through the X Files. But with this, it's there's so much crammed into each episode that it's really hard to watch it that way. Well that yeah. And also like the show the show isn't made up of the main plot line. Like Who Killed Laura Palmer is pretty inconsequential, all things given. The show is made up because you just you get invested in the characters and the relationships and uh, the backseat dealings and stuff like that, uh, and so it end, you end up getting more invested in the characters than anything else, which is the important part. Like right. you're watching it, and you're like, oh, I wonder how. Again, you feel like you're watching a soap opera because, like, I wonder how this is going to end for Big Ed and the Dean. Right. Like, exactly. It, it's it's really well done. Yeah, and I think uh, the episode or the season ends. Season one ends on a, a a big cliffhanger, and we will spoil the cliffhanger ending of season one. Um, and sorry, I guess if you've listened this far and haven't haven't seen it, yeah, uh, we've already spoiled more than you need to know. But it does end on a cliffhanger. We it, it's sort of the most. Um, I guess surreal episode would probably be the way to put it. The last episode of the season is. <laughs> Um, we see a lot of visions and dreams that Agent Cooper has of the Black Lodge, and and we're sort of starting to piece this mystery together-ish, um, not with who actually did it, but with what caused them to do it. Uh, and it, right. he he says to Harry, like gives him a phone call. He's like, "I know who killed Laura Palmer." Exactly. Right. And he he does like not he doesn't know the physical person, but sort of the the behind the scenes of of what happened. And uh, we, we see the Black Lodge again, and we see the arm in, inside the Black Lodge, and, and Lurch pops up, and it's super <laughs> fascinating. And uh, Agent Cooper, he goes back to his hotel room. It's like 2 in the morning, and he orders a nice warm glass of milk to help himself fall asleep. And uh, Agent Cooper gets shot several times in the chest. <laughs> uh, 
that's, that's everything the show is. It's a character going, I like a nice warm glass of milk to help me fall asleep. And then he opens the door and gets capped. Right, several times. And then the guy comes to deliver his milk. <laughs> and it's, it's an old man. It's the most, it's the oldest, saddest looking man you've ever seen. And he doesn't seem to, to acknowledge the fact at all that Agent Cooper's been shot. He just keeps talking to him like everything's normal. And then sits the milk on the counter and walks out of the room. It's great. Um, but that's the he big... Looks like how Roger Moore looks like four days after <laughs> his death. Which, incidentally, was three days before the release of Octopussy. <laughs> View to kill, Josh. View to kill. Um, no, I, I, I know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> before Live and Let Die, his first, his first outing as Bond. Um, and that's the big twist ending of the season. And... Um, I mean, I think it was pretty clear to everybody, especially since the show came out in 1990, that he didn't die. But we'll get more <laughs> into that uh, on the next episode right. when we talk about Twin Peaks Season 2, which will be a much different discussion than Twin Peaks Season 1. So if you watch Season 1 to catch up with this, binge through Season 2. I will give you one bit of advice. Anytime our, our boy James pops up on screen. The coolest man on earth. The, the coolest man. Because James is cool, and James has always been to. cool. Um, anytime he pops up on screen, get out your phone and maybe play a game. Uh, my current recommendation, uh, would be this game called okay question mark, um, on your, uh, just download it from your relative app store and, uh, and play that as your, as anytime James is on screen, when he is off screen, put the phone down and get sucked back into Twin Peaks. Um, but Josh, any, any final, final words on on uh, the first season of Twin Peaks? It, I think going into it, you might think it's a bit slow or uh, it might like lose your interest a couple of times, uh, depending on which characters you're looking at. But just stick with it. Yeah, like, I think just so. Keep You'll definitely get more sucked in as you go. Uh, but I, I genuinely think most people are going to be pretty sucked in from just the pilot episode alone. So... Um, but yeah, just keep with it. It does get really interesting. And I think things get really, really interesting. Uh, not that the first season isn't great. And I think the finale of season two is phenomenal. Uh, things for me get even more interesting with the movie and then the return. Uh, and it's just all around a, a really fun ride that you'll go on. Uh, be prepared to crave coffee like nobody's business. I've drank more coffee since I started rewatching Twin Peaks than I think I've drank in my entire life. So... <laughs> Uh, super I, fun I stuff. I was saying that um, when you watch it, particularly season two, you will want copious amounts of pie. Copi copious amounts of pie. Now, he doesn't come in until season two, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think he calls him at the end of season one. Gotcha. Well, we'll save, we'll save that. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. For Josh Clements, my main man, I am Dalton Barrett, and you have been listening to Semi Pro. We did it, Josh. This is Josh. He's my Nick. <laughs>